Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. things I'm thankful for because you now know why why I'm thankful for this. I'm really thankful for my wife and um, I got online this week and listened to what was preached from this pulpit last week and it was fantastic. So thanks to Tiffany. That was rock solid. That was rock solid uh, Bible teaching. And um, if, I, if I get any grief from anyone, like, why do you let women teach in this church? I'm just going to hand them that sermon. <laughs> Mic drop, walk away. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm also really thankful for the videos that we make around here. Uh, over the years, they've become really um, special to me, and we've got a lot of... Uh, really artistic people um, or self-proclaimed artistic people here in this church. Um, and, and, you know, coming off the heels of the teaching two weeks ago on creativity, you know, if someone were to walk up to me, you know, one of these guys who makes videos and say, you know what, hey, I, I, I'm actually, I'm going to make a movie. I would be pretty impressed because... We know that a movie is something more than just one of these little videos that, that we make, you know. But you know what would be even more impressive to me is if someone walked up to me and said, I'm working on a little something, something. In light of your sermon last week on creativity and in light of the gifts that God's given me, I'm working on a little something, something. It's going to be a trilogy. What's more impressive than a movie? It's a trilogy. Trilogies are epic, right? Even when you just say the word, it's not just three movies, it's a trilogy, right? The best movies are trilogies, am I right? Let me let, me let you in on, on, on some great trilogies that have been made through the years. Uh, the first, without saying, Mighty Ducks, Mighty Ducks. <laughs> The Mighty Ducks. It's an epic trilogy. On Thursday, I was downtown, and I I saw people lined up outside in the rain waiting for the second installment of The Hunger Games, right? I mean, is that what you call the trilogy, The Hunger Games? Is that right or no? Is it called something different than that? You can tell I'm a big fan. going to be a trilogy. I seem to be making money, which is usually what is behind continuing to make movies. Uh, the Lord of the Rings was a fantastic uh, trilogy. Godfather, the Godfather trilogy is a, is a big deal. When two out of your three films win Best Picture, you've done something right. 
Back to the Future was an amazing trilogy. The Matrix maybe shouldn't have been a trilogy. Uh, let me. <laughs> how about how about there was uh, Crocodile Dundee? Actually, there was a third one. There was a third Crocodile Dundee. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop was a trilogy. Naked Gun was a trilogy. Um, let, let, let me tell you about some movies that should have stayed trilogies. Like they, they went one too far. Um, the Karate Kid, they just should have stopped. I don't know why, I mean, I don't know why a girl had to get involved. And I don't know why Jackie Chan and one of Will Smith's kids had to get involved. They should have just stopped. Indiana Jones, they should just stop. Aliens, come on. Uh, the Bourne deal should have stopped. When you lose your cast, you just stop. Well, Matt Damon, yeah, no. Star Wars. I mean, I, I'd like to separate those two trilogies. One of them... It's probably the greatest trilogy ever made, and, and the other one had Jar Jar Binks in it. <laughs> so, is there <laughs> if you're here and, 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 uh, and you're a geek, and you want to tell me, well, technically it wasn't a trilogy that was forced upon so-and-so, don't, don't come up to me and start any conversation with technically. That's, that's like a, a bad deal for a pastor when you get done preaching and the first thing that someone says when they come to talk to you is technically. Well, technically, no, no technicallys. I know some of them couldn't have been or shouldn't have been or were prequels or sequels. Those are some great trilogies and, and some ones that maybe should have stayed trilogies. So I want to look at a parable today together. And this parable is a trilogy. It's an epic trilogy. And it's usually broken up by writers and, and uh, preachers. But Luke 15 starts with Jesus saying this, or, or it starts with um, this description of what Jesus said, that he told them this parable. Not these parables, but this parable. This is a, a trilogy this parable. It's a mini-drama that Jesus uses to communicate a point. And um, I think he does a brilliant job of communicating with this trilogy. In fact, I would say that this trilogy that we're about to, to read will outlast um, even some of the great trilogies that we've just talked about. This is the greatest trilogy ever told. Um, in Luke 15, it says that Jesus spoke this parable to them, and then he goes on to talk about the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And together, all three of them come together to present a big idea. There are three stages, but this is one parable. This is one big idea being communicated um, by Jesus. I want to start before we read Luke 15, and you can turn there if you like. Luke 15 is Luke is towards the end of your Bible and is surrounded by normal names. Um, 
I want to talk about why uh, Jesus told this story. Because it's important. It's important. And basically, he tells these three parables, or he tells this story, or he um, embarks on this trilogy to answer a question. And the question that Jesus was being asked was, why do you associate with sinners? If you're God, why do you hang out with these people? And we kind of have a um, knee-jerk reaction to this word Pharisee. Can I have a knee-jerk reaction to the religious leaders that surrounded Jesus? But I actually think that this was a great question. If you're God, why do you run with these guys? Why do you associate um, with these people? If you know anything about the Pharisees, they were really good at building fences. In fact, they built fences just to keep people away from their fences, right? And the problem that they had with Jesus is that he seemed to be tearing down barriers, that Jesus wasn't so good at building fences. And uh, he actually seemed to be building bridges, and they were troubled by that. And I want to make this comment before Hudson comes up and shares with us, but um, it's Listen, it's human nature to conserve, and it's the divine nature to restore. And here was a group of religious leaders trying to conserve what they had. And here is Jesus coming in the divine nature to restore. So a lot of times we write these guys, oh, I can't believe they did this. How could they, you know? But the truth is, I think they had a legitimate question. Hudson, Connie, can you guys come up? This is Hudson. Come on, buddy. Hey, can you share with the church what you shared with me earlier this week out of Psalm 1? All right. Can we turn this way up? Go for it. This verse is Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the listeners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law. He meditates day and night. This is a sneak peek of the Christmas program to come. So Hudson shared that with me this week in my house, and I was thinking to myself this week, um, because like I said, we can easily write the Pharisees off or think, um, 
you know, where were these guys coming from? But you have to understand that these Pharisees and the teachers of the law had been praying that prayer since they were Hudson's age. Since they were Hudson's age, they had been praying Psalm 1, which says, right? Blessed is the man, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. So they've been taught to pray this since they're Hudson's age, and then here comes Jesus, right? And he seems to be walking with, standing with, and sitting with sinners. So they've been taught not to associate with the people that Jesus is now associating with. And this is their big question. And so Jesus, the parable he tells here, this trilogy he tells, is a response to this question. Why do you associate with them? If we've been told not to walk, not to stand, not to sit with these type of people, then why, do you, why are you walking, standing, sitting with these uh, folks? So let's read the parable. And I, I want you, again, don't break this up on me. See this as one response to one question. See it as a trilogy. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. That's the scripture that Kevin Bacon quotes in Footloose to try to get a dance. (laughs) Just put that in the margin of your Bible. (laughs) So So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus told parables. And these were stories. Again, these were mini dramas that Jesus would use to communicate truth. And the reason he would use stories to communicate truth is because stories are more effective than sermons. You never remember my sermons. You always remember the stories inside the sermons. And Jesus knew this. So in order to communicate truth, he used stories. And through this parable, Jesus is answering the question, why do you associate with these people? Why do you walk with them? Why do you stand with them? Why do you sit with them? If you're God, look at your friends. So he answers with this story. And Jesus is essentially saying to them, I'm doing what any one of you would do if you lost a sheep, lost a coin, or lost a son. I'm doing what any one of you would do if you had lost something that was yours. If you wanted to recover what you had. I believe that this um, parable, as we read it as a trilogy, all three of these things together has some amazing things to say to us. It speaks to who we are and what we need. It communicates truth about our condition. It speaks to who God is and what He does. And it reveals God to us. And I believe also this morning that it's going to reveal something to us about our mission as a church or what we should be about 
in light of what God is about. So I want to start by pointing out to you what this parable, what this story, what this mini drama has to say about us, what it reveals about who we are. And I guess the big point, this may be pretty simple, maybe you see it, um, is that we are, as people, as human beings, lost. That we need to be found. We need to be recovered, right? I believe that these parables are telling us that we're helpless, that we're hopeless, that we're lifeless without Jesus. That we actually are in need of a Savior. And I don't know about you guys, but it takes me, it sounds simple, but it, it, it takes me a long time to come to terms with this. To be okay with my need. To be okay with needing a Savior. To be okay with admitting that I'm lost, that I'm helpless, that I'm hopeless, that I can't do it, that I need to be rescued. I wrestle with my need to be rescued. But I think something, something pops out to me as, as we take these as a whole. And that is that there is different types of lostness. There's different types of lost people, right? There's a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost younger brother, and a lost elder brother. And I want to talk about these different types of lostness. Because if you know, maybe you're here and you're lost and you need to be found. I want to share where maybe you might be. And also, we have a mission as a church to join with Jesus, to join with the Trinity and work to recover those things that are lost. So it might be nice to understand why people are lost and how people are lost. The first thing we read about is a lost sheep, right? The Bible always compares us to sheep. And when it does, it's not a compliment to us. We're constantly being compared to sheep. And I don't know what you made out of cotton balls or what your ideas are about sheep, but it's not a compliment to us, right? Are sheep a smart animal? Good luck getting a sheep to fetch. (laughs) They're a dumb animal. Are they tough? Like, would you pick one in a fight? No. They're soft and mushy. Are they fast? No. When the Bible says that we're sheep, I mean, it's essentially saying that we are a big, dumb, stinky animal that cannot protect itself. I didn't say it. I didn't say that you were a sheep. Jesus said that you're a sheep. Jesus said these things. And if you're here and... and, And you're a sheep. What you need is a good shepherd. What you need is a good flock. If you don't have those things, you're really vulnerable. If you don't have a good shepherd and you don't have a good flock, you're really, really vulnerable. 
And what I, what, I, what I noticed about the sheep is that sheep just kind of wander off. That's how sheep get lost. They're probably aware that they're lost, but they don't know how to get back. They know enough. They're smart enough to know that they're lost, but not smart enough to know how to get back. And I think I meet these people all the time. When, when there's someone and they're lost and they're lost like a sheep, it's not that they hate God. They've just wandered from Him. It's not that they hate God, they're just far from God. When you meet someone and they're like a lost sheep, it's not that they hate the church, it's just that they're far from the church. They've just wandered off. They've made stupid decisions. They're aware that they're lost. And they're just going, I don't know how to get back. If you're here this morning and you're like this sheep, you need a good shepherd. And I would love to introduce you to Jesus. And you also need a good flock. We'd love it if you wanted to be a part of this church. And I would also tell you this morning that if you're like this sheep, and it wasn't a real willful, deliberate, rebellious decision. You don't hate God. You're just far from God. You don't hate the church, but you're just far from the church. This all begins by you just embracing your need. I am a sheep. I need a shepherd. I need leadership in my life. And I need a flock. I need people around me. If left to myself, I'm just going to wander off. The second type of lost um, that I see inside this parable is the lost coin. And the lost coin, I think, represents a certain type of lost person. And maybe you're here and you're like the lost coin. The sheep had some vague idea that it was lost. The sheep had some idea that it was far uh, from God and had no idea how it was going to get back. The coin has no idea that it's lost. The coin has no uh, sensation of being lost. The coin is actually lifeless. And you know lost people like this, that they're so lost that they don't even know that they're lost, right? They have no awareness that they've wandered. They're lifeless. Listen, there are things that I don't know that I don't know. I, I don't know how to frame a bathroom. I know that. I watched the guys frame it. I don't know Chinese. I know that I don't know Chinese. I know that I don't know how to play piano. I know that I don't know these things. But there's a whole lot of things that I don't know that I don't know. More things that I don't know that I don't know than things that I do know that I don't know. (laughs) I'm completely blind to these things. And I need help in seeing these things. 
Like the coin, we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate. We need the Holy Spirit to turn the lights on. We need the Holy Spirit to light a lamp. We need the Holy Spirit to convict us. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal things to us. We don't know that we don't know. And we need the Holy Spirit. There are people who are lost and literally just don't know that they're lost. And that's different than a sheep. A sheep knows. There is also a lost younger brother. And he's different than the sheep. And he's different than the coin, right? Because he deliberately left. He made a willful decision. There was this moment for the younger brother where he says, I'm out of here. I'm not going to wait around for my dad to die. I'm going to leave now, which is essentially saying to the father, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead now. I actually don't want you. I want what you have. And I'll take what you have now and I'll leave. And we know this type of lostness, right? We know younger brother lostness. This is the sex, drugs, and rock and roll type of lostness. The really willful, deliberate choice. No, 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 I'm out of here. I'm leaving now. I'm done with this. This is a really uh, deliberate, this is deliberately turning your back on God. And what lost younger brothers need to know, and it takes a while for some of them, but what lost younger brothers need to know is that they can't outsin His grace. And it says of this younger brother that he comes to his senses. There's this moment where he comes to his senses and he realizes even the servants in my father's house are being treated better than this. I won't expect to be reinstated as a son, but maybe, maybe my father will receive me as a servant. So he heads back home. And if you're here and you're a younger brother, like it's been really willful. You knew exactly what you were doing when you turned your back on God. You knew exactly what you were saying. You knew exactly what you were walking away with away from you need to know that you can't out sin his grace and that you have a father waiting to restore you as a son you need to see a father who's going to rejoice over your repentance not one who's waiting to say to you i told you so didn't i tell you and then there's this other lost character and I would say that this probably represents the most of us here in a church setting, but there's this, this lost elder brother. And I think that this elder brother lostness is, is really the most dangerous way to be lost because you don't know that you're lost, right? He doesn't know that he's lost because he stays put. He doesn't know that he's lost because he's obedient. He doesn't know that he's lost because he's constantly lifting up his resume against his younger brothers who left and patching together a righteousness of his own. An elder brother lostness is a really dangerous form of lostness because you don't know that you're lost. You keep comparing yourself to others filling in your resume and, and, and thinking to yourself, I'm at home, but you're actually far off. You're actually not close 
to the father. It's funny, this parable starts with the elder brother at home and the younger brother off squandering everything. So the, younger, the older brother is in the house, the younger brother has left the house. But how does the parable end? The parable ends with the younger brother in the house and the elder brother outside the house refusing to go in. And now the father is outside of the house pleading for the elder brother to come in. And his words are just dripping with anger and resentment. If you feel, listen to me, if you feel superior to others, you're lost. You don't get it. If you're feeling superior to others, you're suffering from elder brother lostness. If you're angry, if you're entitled, you may be suffering from elder brother lostness, which I'm telling you is the most dangerous form of lostness. Why? Because at the end of this sermon, I'm going to invite people to respond. All the lost sheep, all the lost coins, and all the younger brothers will stand up and respond. You're just wondering when you get to go to lunch. That's why it's the worst form of lostness. That's why this parable ends and this, this older brother is not restored. The sheep was found. The coin was found. The younger brother was found. The elder brother is still outside. And Jesus is saying something to this group because we know that this group is made up of two types of people, right? The sinners and the tax collectors and the, um, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So he's trying to say something to them, right? I'm just doing what anyone would do. Why won't you celebrate with me? Why won't you come in? Why won't you join me in this? A couple questions I'd like to throw out because you may be suffering from older brother lostness. The first would be, can you party? Can you party? Every one of these stories ends with a party. Can you party? Listen, I know that you as an elder brother, you know how to fast. But can you feast? You may be an elder brother if you can't party. If all you do is fast and you can't feast. I know you can be somber as an elder brother, but can you celebrate? Can you get excited? You may be elder brother lost if you can't party. The other thing that we see clearly in this passage is that God would always rather restore than punish. God would always rather restore than punish. What about you? You may be elder brother lost if that's not true for you. The other thing I'd ask, because I think it's a good indicator of elder brother lostness, is what happens to you when you're overlooked? When you're performing, but no one's noticing. When you're doing, but you're not getting. What happens to you? You may be older brother lost if you're angry, entitled, and feel superior to other people. So the parable tells us that we've got a condition and that we've got a need. It reveals to us that we're lost. We need to be found. What does this parable teach us about God? What does it say about God? 
I want you to see three things as we read this. One, I want you to see God's trilogy. That potentially trilogies are epic because God Himself is a trilogy. The other thing I want you to see is God's urgency. And the third thing is I want you to see, you have to see as you read these parables, God's uh, party. So the first thing I want to talk about is God's trilogy because there's a beautiful picture of the trilogy here. If you read these and don't separate these stories, we see first what? The good shepherd. Who is this shepherd? John 10.10. Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. The one who lays down his life for the sheep. There were a ton of prophecies in the Old Testament, right? That declared that an ideal shepherd would come. This type of shepherd is coming to you. This is Jesus. Again, being <laughs> Jesus identifying himself as a shepherd. Jesus saying this about himself is essentially him saying, I've emptied myself and I've come to serve. Jesus identifying himself with the occupation of shepherd was him essentially lowering himself humbling himself, saying, I've come to serve. Being a shepherd was not an ideal occupation. It was something that you fell into. You weren't allowed to testify in court as a shepherd because you spent too much time alone and too much time with animals. And you know these people too, you know? It's just something's not quite right because they spend way too much time alone or way too much time with animals, right? And when left to ourselves, we think crazy things, right? So this was not an occupation that someone aspired to. Jesus, you know, when I come down, when I empty myself, I'm going to be a shepherd. They were peculiar people. So when Jesus talks about himself as a shepherd, he makes himself low and he again says, I've emptied myself to come and find I love this part of the story, and you probably noticed it too, but when he finds this sheep, he puts him on his shoulders and carries him back to the fold. Do you know that Jesus has carried your burden? Jesus has carried your weight? Do you know that a full-grown sheep weighs about as much as the cross that he carried? We have this amazing picture here of what Jesus has done for us. He's carried your sin. He's carried your burden. I also love the picture that we get here that you don't find Jesus. I know you woke up this morning. You got your kids ready and it was hard. I know you're dressed in your nicest shirt. You're here to find God. You don't find God. He finds you. He's after you. He initiated this. I love this picture of Jesus. He's the one who walks for miles. He's the one who combs the hills. He's the one looking for you. He's the one that left heaven to seek and save that which was lost. Isaiah 53, we don't have time to read it, but it's an amazing description of what Jesus has done. How he's carried your burden, how he's carried uh, your weight. Right after Jesus tells the story of a man looking for a sheep, he begins to talk about a woman who's looking for a coin. 
The shepherd looking for a sheep is a picture of divine tenderness. The woman looking for the coin is a picture of divine diligence and persistence. And I believe that what we get a glimpse of in this woman looking for a coin is we get a glimpse of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. God's not male or female, but He created us male and female. And I believe that He's saying here that there are feminine virtues needed in the recovery of the lost. Right? Not only are we going to need stamina and endurance and courage like the shepherd, but we're also going to need patience, diligence, and attention to detail. And that's what we see in this woman. I'm going to speak real generally here, um, but I, I believe that women are generally more patient, more diligent, and give more attention to detail. I know that this isn't across the board true, but generally, this is true of women. More patient. Bedtime in my house with me looks like this. That book's too long. Put that one back. <laughs> Bedtime with Tiff looks like chapter books. She reads them chapter books. Bedtime prayers with me look like this. Thank you, God, for today. Thanks for Remy. I pray that they don't get out of bed. I pray that no one asks me for water. I pray that everyone falls asleep in the next 10 minutes. I pray that I'm left alone. From this point forward, amen. <laughs> Tiffany goes in there. She's reading chapter books. They're doing hair. Turns into like a makeup parlor. I mean, it's just like, come on, man. You've been in there for an hour. Put them down. If, if I do bedtime in seven minutes, what happens is that inevitably at the end, Remy goes, will you send mom in? <laughs> or if it's like, hey, I'm putting you to bed tonight, guys. It's like, we want mom to put us to bed. Mom's better at putting us to bed. That's because mom doesn't put you to bed. So, we also, when we look at this woman who's searching for the coin, we see this incredible picture of diligence. This incredible picture of, of, of diligence. And I believe that this is true of women. They're incredibly diligent. And I think we see this in, in the gospel stories when you know, Jesus has been crucified and the women are still tending to him. All the dudes have bailed. They all quit. And the women are persisting. They're diligent. They're continuing even when it gets hard. And certainly it was hard to bury someone that you had such high hopes of. And then, of course, the attention to detail. I don't need to say anything about that. You experienced that this weekend when your husband came home from man camp and you asked how it was. And he said that it was good. Listen, the Holy Spirit will bring up very specific things. The Holy Spirit will bring very specific things up. And a woman will bring very specific things up. I love the part of this where the woman lights a lamp. 
And, and the Holy Spirit turns the lights on for us. The Holy Spirit illuminates. The Holy Spirit reveals. The Holy Spirit exposes. The Holy Spirit lights things up on the inside. This woman is searching for this coin, and it's the Holy Spirit that searches our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit who, who knows us. It's the Holy Spirit who reveals, combs, sweeps, is looking, is searching. And we have in this woman a picture of how the Holy Spirit works. And then, of course, we get this amazing um, glimpse of the Father. God the Father. God's a trilogy. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. All teamed up together in the recovery of the lost. All partnering together on a mission to recover that which has been lost. What kind of father do we see in this story? A father giving sonship. A father who runs. That's awesome. Just seeing a dad run was a great part of man camp. A father who's restoring younger brothers. A father who's restoring and pleading with the elder brother to come in. And I love this about this father. Is that this father was publicly humiliated by his son. For those of you who've had a child who's done, who screwed up royal, you know how this goes. Publicly humiliated by their son. This father. And then what does he do? He brings the whole community back together to publicly affirm his son. Publicly humiliated by what his son had done to him and what his son had said. Publicly affirmed. Blessing spoken over his life in the witnesses of you know, the city or the community that was around them. That's the type of father. The other thing that I want you to see is I want you to see the urgency of God in this. You can't miss the urgency of God, right? When, when, when you read these parables together, don't separate them. When you read them together, you see that they progress in drama, right? Losing one sheep when you've got a hundred represents a 1% loss. Losing one coin when you've got 10 represents a 10% loss. Losing one son when you've only got two represents a 50% loss. So these things grow in drama, right? It sucks to lose a sheep. I've never lost one personally, but I can imagine that losing a sheep is rough. When you've got a hundred, eh, right? Losing a hundred bucks is worse. That, worse, you know, that's the equivalent of what that coin was worth. hundred bucks. That's worse. I've not lost a sheep, but I have lost a dog. It's rough to lose a dog. It's worse to lose a hundred bucks. That How many Hold on, I'm going to get booed off by PETA out here. What the heck? Hey. How many people here would rather lose their dog than 100 bucks? How many people Hold on, just You guys are with me, right? 
How many people would rather lose a hundred bucks than lose your dog? Golly. What a compassionate group. So the shepherd, the shepherd looks for his sheep. The shepherd looks for his sheep as if it's his only one. And the woman looks for this coin as if it's her only one. And of course, the father is looking for his son. Imagine someone comes to the father and says to him like, hey, look, you've got another son. It's cool. You've got two. Imagine telling, uh, you know, imagine telling that woman, oh, it's cool, you got 900 bucks. What's 1,000? Oh, hey, man, you've got 100 sheep. Don't worry about it, right? It doesn't, it doesn't cut it, right? And you've got to pick up on the urgency of God in this because, of course, if you were a father with two sons and you lost one, you would be heartbroken. It's not enough that you've got another son. And it's not enough that you've got nine coins and it's not enough to God that he has 99 sheep. He wants the one. He's not okay with the loss. He's not okay with a 1% loss. This is what Jesus is saying. God's not okay with a 1% loss. He's not okay with a 10% loss. And he's not okay with a 50% loss. God's not okay with that. And unfortunately, we are. We're okay with the 1% loss. We're okay with a 10% loss. We're okay with a 50% loss. And we know that the numbers are even more staggering in our city. And we're okay with it. We've settled with it. Just like I was talking to Taylor Armerding, and he was saying, target plans on. They budget for a 1% loss. So when they lose 1%, they're high-fiving each other. We did it. We only lost 1%. I talked to Gunner about some of the stuff he does with fruit and food, and they plan on a 10% loss just so they're not disappointed. Oh, let's high-five each other. We only lost 10% of that very fragile crop. By the way, Target makes $70 billion a year. A 1% loss for them is $70 million. They plan on, in their budget, losing $70 million, and they high-five each other when it's only a 1% loss. They plan on it. Many companies do. They budget for it. And here's God saying, I'm not okay with it. I'm not okay with the 1% loss. I'm not okay with a 10% loss. And I'm certainly not okay with a 50% loss. And we are. Well, the church is big enough. I don't know. There's no place to sit. Don't ever say to me that this church is too big. Not when you have unsaved family members and unsaved neighbors. Don't ever say that. That to me feels like you saying my family's too big. Don't say that to me. You can say that this isn't working. You can say all kinds of things. Don't ever tell me that this family is too big. I'm not okay with a 1% loss in our city. I'm not okay with a 10% loss. And I'm certainly not okay with an 80% loss, which is what we're probably looking at. Not all right with that. The urgency behind this. Can you, it, it starts like this. A man had 100 sheep and he lost one. A woman had 10 coins and she lost one. A father had two sons and he lost one. That's very different than a man going, I've got 99 sheep and I think I'd like to get another one. I think I'd like to hit triple digits. I think 100 sheep would be awesome. I think I'll get another sheep. 
That's very different than a woman saying, I've got nine coins, I've got 900 bucks, and it would be awesome if I had 1,000 bucks in my savings. Dave Ramsey told me I should have 1,000 bucks in my savings. So I've got nine, and I want 10. And this is very different, very different than a father saying, I've got a son, and we're thinking about another. It's very different. Can you imagine Tiffany and I saying, oh, you know, we've got four daughters, and we're thinking about having another. That's different. What this parable says is that God is saying, I had two sons. I had two sons and I lost one. Pick up on the urgency. That's different than me saying, I've got four girls and yeah, maybe we'll try for another. It's like, I had five girls and I lost one. And this is why I do what I do. This is why I sit with the people I sit with. This is why I stand. This is why I walk. This is why I associate with these people. God had them, they're mine, and I lost them, and I want them back. I had five girls, and I've lost one. I had two sons, I lost one. I had ten coins, and I lost one, and I'm not going to stop till I find it. Pick up on the urgency of this. This is not just, well, the church is pretty big, and maybe it could get bigger. No, he has people in this city. He has them, and he wants them back. And this is what we're doing as a church. You have to see the God party in these parables. Every story ends with not just God celebrating because he found what was lost. He brings the whole community together to celebrate. It's not even good enough for him just to get back what was lost and go, yay, we did it. It's like, get everyone together. Gather the town. You've got to see this. You've got to rejoice with me. This son of mine was dead. He was gone, and now he's found. He's alive. Bring everyone together to celebrate. Every story ends with the God party. This is what God celebrates. Nowhere in Scripture do we find that he rejoices when we have a great Bible study. Nowhere in Scripture do we find that he celebrates All of heaven is partying when we're worshiping and we're just lost. You know, we never read that. We read that God celebrates, he rejoices when someone who's lost is restored. When there's repentance, there is rejoicing. That's what goes on. I love, you you maybe noticed it in the one about the woman searching for the coin. It says at the end of that parable that there's rejoicing in the presence of, of the angels. Usually when we think about heaven, we think about God enthroned and the angels are worshiping. God's sitting there and it's the angels that are proclaiming holy, holy, holy day and night, right? This is our picture of heaven is that it's the angels, it's the hosts, it's the crowd that's gathered that's doing the rejoicing and God is receiving worship. There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Who's doing the rejoicing? It's like God's sitting, receiving the worship coming from these angels that's due to him, right? And that's kind of the thing that we think is most often going on in heaven, except for when one sinner repents and turns back to God. And then God says, shh, I got this one. Yeah! 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 And the angels just watch. And now all of a sudden they sit back. And they just take it in as God rejoices. Because one sinner has come home. 
someone's been found. You have to see the God party. You have to get in on this. We have an opportunity to join Him. That's why we're talking about this this morning. We're talking about the vision and values of Radiant Church. We want to be obedient to His Word, surrendered to His Spirit, but devoted to His mission. And He seeks. He pursues. He goes after. This is what we see about God, is that we get to, as a church, we get to join the saving work of the Trinity. That we get to join the Trinity as He restores and recovers and rescues the lost. We get to seek the lost with a sense of urgency. Yeah, the church is kind of big. I don't know if I'll invite anyone. There's nowhere to sit. We get to join the party when the lost come home. That's what we get to do as a church. So I know that you're probably thinking to yourself like, you know, the problem for me when you tell this story or tell us that we should, as a church, be seeking those that are lost, that we should be pursuing, that we shouldn't be just waiting for people to come to us, but we should go after them like the Trinity is going after them. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, listen, I've already got enough on my plate. I can't handle what I've got. I can't, re- I can't handle the re- relationships I do have. I can't handle this. And so I just want to leave you with something as we go, is that in every one of these instances, like the Trinity is just going after one. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. I know you don't know where to start. I know you've got tons of issues around you, tons of neighbors. You don't know what to say. You don't know where to start, and you don't know what to do. Go for the one. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. I know you can't do it for everyone, but don't let that keep you from doing it for one. This story is about going after the one, pursuing the one. Who is for you the one? Who is that? And I'm going to leave you with an acronym just to help you. I leave you with an acronym not to insult your intelligence. Jesus already did that by calling you a sheep. I want you to bless. Just do one of these things each day. Begin by praying. Many of us aren't even praying for someone to come to know Christ. Begin by identifying a few people in prayer. Put them on a list. Start praying for them. Pray for them. Begin by praying. Find someone and pray for them. And then listen to them. Just call them up. Ask them questions. Don't say anything and don't fix anything. Just say, how's it going? What's going on for you? What do you think about this? Just ask and listen to where they're at. And then eat with them. It's not a big deal. It's not real spiritual. Just eat. Just have a meal together. Invite them over. Stop eating with the same people over and over again. Pursue a neighbor. Pursue a friend. Pursue someone you don't know. Pursue someone who you know is lonely. And then look for a way to serve them. Hey, I'll take that. I can do that. Is there any way I can help you with that? Once you've done those things, you'll have the leverage you need to just share your story with them. Look, just do it for one. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And just do one of these things each day. One of these things. Choose to begin by praying for someone. Call someone up. Listen to what's going on in their life. 
share a meal with someone other than the people that you typically share meals with. Serve them in some way and share your story. Let's stand and pray. It's a good thing Mary's only working here a couple weeks more. She's going to kill me. Hey, make sure to thank the people working in, in, in child care. God, we see you. We see you this morning. And we like what we see. We see the way that the Trinity is at work. And we want to be a part of this work. Pray that you would equip us as a church to go after the ones that you're after. That you'd give us a heart. That you give us a sense of urgency. That you would show us the party. We want to be a part of what you're up to. I ask that you would continue to grow this family. You can multiply it, God. You can do whatever you want, but we're not okay. We're not okay with the loss. We're not going to budget for it. We're not going to plan on it. We're not going to continue to say, well, it's tough and the road is narrow and just dismiss the people around us. You didn't do that, Jesus, and we're not either. Thank you for showing us, for modeling something for us, for not just telling us what to do like some boss at headquarters. Thank you for coming and doing what we couldn't do, giving us the Holy Spirit to empower us. Empower this church for evangelism. Empower this church to spread and share the good news. Empower this church to grow the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time. Ah